Hey everyone, welcome to My Two Cents with Tawanda Harris. This is a podcast dedicated to educators, for educators, and by educators. Yes, it's all about encouraging, it's all about sharing strategies, it's all about going on an educational journey with each other. You are not alone, and I hope that when you finish listening to this podcast, you feel like you went on a journey with educators around the world. Thank you for tuning in to My Two Cents. This episode is dedicated to the term that has been thrown around, I think, the most when it comes to education and the pandemic, learning loss. You know, you think about it. How do you lose something that you never had? Elizabeth said it so well in this episode. I can't lose a million dollars if I've never had a million dollars. Listen in as we unpack what the term learning loss means and how dangerous it is to enter into the school year thinking that our students have lost something. All right, I am so excited that you are um, tuning in today. We have a hot topic to discuss today, the idea of learning loss. Okay, so our guest today, Elizabeth Lacey Schoenberger, will join us in talking about this whole idea of learning loss. Can you share with us your teacher journey? Sure, I have a very, very long and interesting journey. Um, I actually fresh out of graduating from um, undergrad at University of Oklahoma, I was recruited by an organization called Teach for America and was sort of dropped in the middle of the South Bronx. Um, so I spent the first two years of my teaching life with um, no traditional teaching background, um, teaching middle school um, in the South Bronx and sort of learning <laughs> baptism by fire style. Um, <laughs> at the end of those two years, I was sort of not sure exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew that I still wanted to be really connected to education. Um, and I spent a year working at a community college and um, working with their disability services department um, as a reading specialist. And um, by that point, I was really starting trying, trying to really understand what it was that um, was leading to so many challenges um, in the world of education and, and seeing it from a different side, seeing it from the adult learner perspective as well um, was really, um, it, was, it was an important learning experience for me and one that made me realize I, I was sort of feeling called to go back into the world of K-12 education and, and um, keep my focus there. So I went back into another middle school, um, this time also in New York City, but in Washington Heights. Um, and I spent um, several years at that school and I felt very blessed to be there. During that time, we, um, we were a Columbia University teachers, um, teachers College School. So we got a lot of staff development from um, you know, different, different perspectives. We had workshops where we got to spend a lot of time in other teachers' classrooms. Um, I went to summer institutes. Uh, so there was just a large emphasis put on teacher training and development and um, learning collaboratively. And that was something that um, really allowed me to learn a lot as a teacher and, and to push my practice with fellow teachers in a way that was powerful. Um, I loved, I loved my teaching there. I didn't particularly, I wasn't dying to leave the classroom, but I wanted to, at that point, I, I wanted to feel like I had more of a voice. Um, and so I shifted into becoming a literacy coach and um, eventually moved into um, school administration. Um, and I spent several years 
in, in various roles doing that um, until fairly recently. And um, recently I've sort of felt, I felt very much um, sort of disconnected from teachers and students. I find that sometimes when you um, spend a long time in, in administration, you think you're gonna get to spend a lot of time with teachers and with students. And um, I felt like that wasn't really where I was getting to focus my time and my energy. Um, and so I went back into the classroom um, and I currently teach um, middle school reading and writing, eighth grade specifically. Um, and I also um, do adjunct teaching as well. So I, I teach teachers in that sense too. So um, it's been a really important and powerful move for me when I left the classroom versus now, you know, th things like Google Classroom and all of that were sort of just taking off. And now they're sort of driving everything, especially this past year. Um, and so it's been a really powerful and important way to sort of reconnect with what I believe most strongly in and what I feel just really kind of called to do. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. I mean, you took a lot of different paths to get to where you are. And, you know, I can tell just by you sharing that all of your experiences helped you to be the teacher that you, the educator that you are today in this, at this time. So I, I am grateful that you were able to um, experience the, the training from teacher's college Wow. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I think of my first year teaching. Oh my goodness. You know, mm -hmm. my <laughs> we all owe an apology. Every, every oh, teacher owes a letter of apology to that first group, wherever they are. And, and mm -hmm. I mean, just coming straight out of college, mm -hmm. I had a, we, I went into a school and we were, um, we had adopted a scripted program. Mm. So the way I learned how to teach reading and math was through a, um, to learn how to use a scripted program. Yep. And yep. you and I both know that that is absolutely not yeah. the way yeah, to no. teach students anything mm -hmm. by going page by page um, mm -hmm. in a pre-made curriculum. You know, it's interesting. Um, I So my first two years uh, in teaching was right as um, New Yorkers will, this will sound familiar, was right as, um, Bloomberg and Joel Klein were rolling out balanced literacy. Mm -hmm. um, and at my school, my first school that I taught at, balanced literacy looked like every teacher got a box of books and we were told to go teach. And that was it. Um, that's what we got. Um, there was no, there was, there was no teacher training and there was also no scripted curriculum. So what's interesting is I agree with you, scripted curriculums um, in and of themselves certainly are not anything that's, that's going to Bring about powerful, passionate teaching, um, but I. But the lack of one, if you don't have the right um, professional development in place, yes. um, is also pretty disastrous. I mean, you know, I, again, I was a first year teacher with no formal teacher training, and I have a box of books, and it's like, oh, I guess we should talk <laughs> about the characters. I don't know, you know. So, so it's interesting. I, 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 you know, there's a lot of schools that have shifted to these very scripted curriculums. I think because of so much teacher turnover and, and such a challenge with so many teachers coming from non-educational backgrounds. And so the knee-jerk reaction is just to like put a book, put a book of binder of something in front of them. Um, and I, it's better than nothing, but then right, that the next step is teaching teachers how to really teach to their passion and move beyond that in a way that you know is important and, and transformative there. Yes, definitely. And it's, you know, really, you know, one of the things that I always say is a curriculum can't connect with your students unless yeah. you know how to connect yeah. with 
students first. And so helping teachers to see the why behind the resource is extremely important if they are going to use a thing, um, yeah. a curriculum in their classroom, then it's very yeah. important that you make that connection. Yeah, so absolutely. How would your, you know, thinking about your classroom now, yep. how would your students describe your classroom? <laughs> so I, um, I give lots of surveys to my, my kids um, about once a quarter. Um, just to get their feedback on how things are going and, and how I can better support them and, and just sort of their perceptions of things. Um, and I always, I always love to hear their answers to, to these kinds of questions, you know, just like how, how are things going? How would you describe this classroom? Um, and I get a very wide range of answers um, from different students. Um, a couple of my favorites, um, a student said, um, I, I would describe your classroom as total torture. Um, and then dot, 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 and he said, because you always stop the books at the best parts, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. which to me said I was doing something right, that that, you know, like, why are you doing this to me? You're torturing me. And, and that I was very, actually, I was very happy with that response. Um, I've had a student describe my, my classroom as magical um, because she says you never yell, but students are always um, doing what they need to do. Um, and I think that's really powerful and important. It speaks to what you were saying about this idea of, of building those relationships and, and building a learning-centered community that kids want to be a part of. Um, you know, kids describe my classroom as challenging, which I also wear as a badge of honor, right? Like, you, you know, if you don't feel like I'm challenging you, then I'm not doing my job and you're not either. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's, it's a range of, range of things. Um, one student always said, I always know what to expect in your class. Um, oh, and again, I think that's awesome. a powerful compliment yes. as well, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, think about as an adult, how important that is. I mm -hmm. want to know what someone or what the expectation is. Yeah. I am in a space. Yeah. Uh, so that as an adult, I can decide if I'm for it yep. <laughs> or if I'm going to push against it. You know, I mean, that's, yep. that's something that I need. Prepare yourself. Yep. Yes, 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 yes. All right, you recently did a session at the Educator Collaborative Sessions entitled Learning, Loss, or Found. Such a fun title, might I add. And you said, when thinking about next school year, we should continue to do what we as educators do, which is teach the kids in front of us. Why do you believe that that is such an important mindset to start with? Yeah. <laughs> so first of all, I, yeah, I just, I want to shout out Chris Lehman and, and Dr. Carrie Orange-Jones. Um, you know, the three of us together really um, dug into this and, and it all sort of started from a conversation of just, what are we, what have we been thinking about lately? And um, from there sort of really rapidly spiraled into some, some important and powerful digging into this topic. So um, I would say that um, for me, I, I used to say my, my education mantra is very simple. <laughs> That which they need to know, we must teach, um, and and we you know we have to tap into the passions of the students in front of us. We always have to scaffold for the needs and readiness of of students, um, and and that's always true, right? It's always true that that we need to do that. Um, I would also say that in this particular year, it's so important that we as educators are looking at the individual children in front of us, and not just panicking and buying into the hype that all of our students are coming to us at, at, at this loss and, and they're, yeah. they're so low and we, we have so much 
ground to catch up with and, and we need to just hurry up and, and jump into diagnosing everything that's wrong with them and, and fix it. And, um, you know, it's really um, doing such a disservice to our kids and to our educators who have been working really hard this year to continue building, um, you know, many things with our kids. And they're going to come to us next year more tech savvy than ever. Um, I think probably more hungry to learn than uh, as a middle school teacher, I, I think probably more so than we've experienced in a while, right? Mm -hmm. um, more empathetic, I think, to our current world. And the question is, you know, how can we embrace that? How can we capitalize on that? And it starts by seeing the individuals in front of us in a real and powerful way, and not just um, anticipating data points or, or thinking about um, sort of the the giant picture of, of post-pandemic teaching, as it were. I, oh, goodness. I mean, I wanted to amen everything that you were saying. I mean, it's almost like we paint this narrative that our students are coming with uh, holes and gaps. Yeah. And it, it forces us to think from a deficit mindset. And yeah. because we are um, thinking that way, then subconsciously we begin to react mm -hmm. that way. And that sense of urgency is no longer to connect with the student, but it is to teach them what we believe that they missed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I think there's some real just sort of danger in that, right? And and from an educator's perspective, I, I think there's um, I think the rest of the world is sort of hearing a lot of terms that we as educators have heard for a while, right? Achievement gap, education gap, like these are not new terms, right? These are, these are things that have been out there for quite a while. Um, and I think that we, um, you know, again, push back on this really hard, like, like our stance, um, as you saw in the, in the learning loss presentation that we did, like we push back on this. It is not that there are gaps. Um, it's not that there's loss, okay? I didn't lose a million dollars because I never had a million dollars, <laughs> right? I you cannot I lose what you don't have. Um, and so, you know, we're placing blame or we're placing denial on children as opposed to looking within the system to say, you know, wh what is the educational debt? What is it that we owe um, to our students? What is it that they need that we, we can provide? Um, and I think that, again, there's this, there's this power there um, that we have as educators to shift that narrative to say, you know, it's not that there's been learning loss, but there have been curriculum gaps. Let's think about that. Mm -hmm. Or sure, um, they didn't get to X, Y, and Z unit last year, but when I talk to individual students, they're doing okay when it comes to that. Like they're ready to move forward and, and we're all right. Like the kids are going to be all right. And I think that, um, you know, that I think that we have to really embrace looking at kids as individuals and looking at their assets first um, that we can build on, right? Um, I think as adults, we know this, that, that you should be passionate about improving areas you're already strong at, mm -hmm. in addition to trying to grow in areas that you're weak and that you have to combine those two things together. And I think that that's something we forget a lot as educators. We're so busy worrying about, you know, quote unquote, fixing things with kids that, you know, it, kids are not broken mm -hmm. in that sense. I totally agree. And, you know, it makes me think about Dr. Goldie Muhammad's, um, her uh, literacy framework. 
And one of the components is the, the part where she talks about intellect. What are mm -hmm. we going to make our students smarter about? Yeah. Understanding that our students come with brilliance already. And yep. when we think we are filling up this empty cup, we devalue what our students are bringing to the classroom. Um, yeah. There was a whole pandemic and I'll, I'll just keep saying we were in a pandemic. This is, this is, and you know, this will go down in history books as to what actually unfolded. And yep. we watched um, live curriculum happening as Sarah Ahmed says, the, the world gave us our curriculum and we're doing our students a disservice when we do not connect what happened in the world to mm -hmm. our classrooms. We right. cannot separate. And so right. we have to ask ourselves, you know, when we think about this whole false narrative around learning loss, what is our end goal? What, what is mm -hmm. the end goal when we are trying to fix something? Right. And what is the, what is the driving belief there? I always wonder, like from people who are saying, you know, this is, we have to get the data and talk about the learning loss and plan for the remediation. And, and so what is it that you believe that if we scramble enough and give enough um, like computer-based remediation programs that we're going to a year from now have fixed it or have solved all these preconceived problems? Um, and again, like I said, educators, this isn't new for us. Like we know that it's not this simple diagnose, prescribe, and fix um, scenario, right? Like it's not that simple. Um, and so I don't, I, I, I am also alarmed at the amount of people who don't really know much about the world of education who are throwing this term around and yes. I think using it in a very haphazard way. Because as you said, we're in the middle of a pandemic. There has been damage done in all sorts of, of walks yes. of life, okay. right? Yeah. Like everything has been upended. Yeah. Um, and it would be so sad if on the other side of this, um, it was like, let's hurry and get everything back to normal or back to the way it was. Um, because there's been so many powerful things, um, transformative things that have gone on with kids and with teaching and with teachers. You know, I, yeah. I think, um, you know, in so many districts, um, kids and teachers have through technology, been in each other's homes. Um, right. I think that's powerful for a lot of teachers. I think their insight into their students and their worlds. And I think, you know, the, the same is true in reverse, right? The students being able to see, I mean, it, you know, I, I was teaching online Zoom class at the beginning of the year and my toddler would run in in the background and I would get a million chat box comments about it and, and people like asking about her or saying hello to her, yes. you know, that sort of thing. So this relationship level, um, that we've achieved, how do we capitalize on that moving forward? Yeah. Um, you know, that these are the kinds of things that I think are real positives that we, we want to look at and think about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it acknowledges, it makes me think about just the humanity in it all, mm -hmm. um, that it's not about teaching a standard. It's about mm -hmm. teaching the student, you know, like you said, mm -hmm. the kids that are in front of us. And we experience something together in the world. When you talk about the injustices that has that have happened, um, police brutality that has yep. happened, yep. killings, um, riots, yep. all of these things, deaths. Yep. Um, we could go on and on about yep. the things that we have had to experience together. And of course, there are different perspectives and different viewpoints about it. But at the end of the day, we all experience that together. Right. And, and the beauty, 
the beauty of literacy is we can teach literacy through all of that, right? Like our, our content allows that we can talk about these issues through current texts and through media clips and through these different things, right? Like we have such a blessing in the world of literacy in particular, I think that we can bring all of that to life and, and dig into it while still meeting the standards. Like, mm-hmm. sure, I can teach me an idea in detail <laughs> while reading, you know, two different points of view about one of the, you know, latest police killings. Like, let's, we can talk about it that way. And, and there's that blessing there for us that we can do both. So um, on the Ed Collabs page, um, Chris Lehman posted this right here. And this is, uh, it was such a great post. The term learning loss has been described as inaccurate and dangerous. Thinking about next school year, how could this term impact student learning? I can tell you it's already impacting um, student learning. So um, in pretty dramatic ways, like the kids are listening, they always are. Um, I, I think for, so again, I teach eighth grade and I um, earlier this year was working with my advisory group, my homeroom cohort um, to help them register for their high school classes. And um, several of, of my homeroom students are extraordinarily um, bright. Like, I mean, they all, all, all children are bright and wonderful, but, but you know, really high level, high performing students um, who were hesitant to sign up to any um, honors or AP level classes um, next year. And when I pressed them about why, um, they said that, you know, well, we're not ready, like we haven't learned enough this year. Um, you know, we've, we've lost a lot of knowledge this year. Um, I don't want to take a class and fail it. And like, I know that we're so, so behind, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like that, that are impacting students, uh, you know, willing to take risks and believing in themselves in a way that I think is, is going to be lasting, right? Kids are hearing that they are behind and broken and therefore, you know, their level of sensitivity around, um, taking critical feedback or, or thinking about growth and progress um, is, is really, I, I think, negatively impacted in a way that we have to think about for next year, right? So this idea that, um, you know, students are going to come in next year, they've already decided for themselves that they are behind and, and broken and lost and whatever it is. And so, you know, there's always that, that, sort of challenge at the beginning of a school year to get kids engaged and motivated and, um, you know, believing in themselves and everything else. That's always something that we want to work towards. But I think that this year, this next school year in particular, we have this uphill battle to climb because kids are coming in, having been told by everyone, you know, uh, the newscasters and the politicians and their school superintendents and, you know, everyone is saying like how behind and lost everyone is. And the kids are hearing that in a way that I think is going to really do damage. Um, and I also think that um, as educators, we're now spending so much time sort of hyper-focused on thinking about all of the holes, as it were, right? There's there's talk across so many districts right now about, um, you know, pouring over the data to create and rewrite curriculum um, in such a way that we have a unit zero that teaches all the things they didn't learn last year before we can start this year's units and um, beginning of the year remediation units and things like that. And so the impact of student learning is <laughs> that we are making assumptions that they aren't ready for yeah. the more challenging and rigorous coursework um, 
just because they've had a different kind of school year. Um, and again, in the world of literacy, I would stress that that's just ultimately probably not true in most cases, right? Yeah. Um, if I learned how to ride a bike and I don't ride it for a year and a half, if you assess me on my bike riding skills, the very first time I get back on the bicycle after a year and a half, like, yeah, it's going to look pretty shaky. And this is a true story about me. I'm, <laughs> I, I look pretty shaky, right? Um, but if you give me a couple of weeks, right, back in the seat of my bicycle, give me some positive encouragement around riding that bike, um, and then you look at me and assess my ability to ride a bike, I think you're going to say like, oh, wow, yeah, you're ready to take on that next, you know, bike trail. You're ready to take on that next, um, you know, level of, of higher training, as it were, right? And so my concern here is that if we, if we, you know, don't assume the best and, and assume that our kids are at this readiness and, and embrace them in the same way that we, we normally do as educators, they're going to miss out on even more learning next year. <laughs> Because we're going to spend a bunch of our time, um, you know, I hate to say it, but like dumbing things down or backing up over things that, that you know, with a little bit of scaffolding and reminding and warming up, as it were, I think that they'll be able to do. And so, you know, that's, to me, well, my biggest concern in all of this. In the session, you talked about um, the need for quick, authentic success mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year. Talk to me a little bit about um, why that is, you know, such a great thing to start the year with. Yeah, I cannot, I cannot stress enough, like, I'm begging the world to not start the school year with a whole bunch of assessments. Um, and it is how so many school districts are, you know, the kids walk in and the first three days are diagnostic testing yeah. or something, you know, um, and, and that's so damaging to the joy factor. It's so damaging to the relationship and culture building. Um, you know, we really want to spend the beginning of the year trying to build as much confidence and, and independent agency as we can with kids, um, and reminding them of all of the reasons why they want to be passionate learners. Um, and I can't think of a way to kill that faster than giving them a whole bunch of computerized test questions and things like that, right? Um, and then when I say authentic success, I, I really do mean you know, we're not trying to fake build the kids up. We're not giving them, you know, coloring worksheets and, and little, you know, acronym name poems to fill in and calling it a day. Um, you know, you can read a poetic novel. We could finish that in a week or two and then say to the class, like, look at that. We've already finished a book. Like, this is amazing, right? Look at all the deep, interesting thinking work you've done. Um, you can build again on, on all of the kids' new tech knowledge, like have them create a video essay, um, have them do a random act of kindness and catch it on a TikTok and build out a, a showcase of some kind. Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't so matter what the project is, as long as it's something that is based in grade level standards so that you can authentically say like, wow, you did this, like you, yeah. you did what the world expects a fourth grader or an eighth grader or an 11th grader to do. Like you really did do it. Um, you belong here, right? Like that really needs to be the message in these early weeks of school next year is that you belong here. You belong in this grade. You belong in this class. You can do this. And together, you know, we're really, we're going to, we're going to move mountains this year. It's going to be amazing. Um, and then eventually, sure, like some of that, that diagnostic stuff can come into play. But, um, you know, I, I think by starting off with these authentic and successful and engaging and meaningful types of things, 
again, you build that rapport, you build those relationships with kids, you build their confidence levels. And I promise you, you're going to get much better diagnostic results too when you do them, right? Because the kids, again, are in a mindset of wanting to show their best, do their best, um, and put their all into it, as it were. So, you know, because often when I say things like that, you know, people push back like, oh, you, well, we have to have diagnostics, but Mm -hmm. it's about that. It's about the order of how you do those things. In. Yes. And, you know, I, I always say you finish a thing the way you start it. Yeah. So if this is how I'm going to start my year, this can be the foundation, good, bad, mm-hmm. or indifferent. This will be the foundation of our relationship. Yep. And yep. by starting with that authentic success, show students that you value what they're bringing to the classroom. Like we are celebrating what you know. We're celebrating who you are. And it gives more time for um, relationship building before Mm -hmm. we start to talk about, okay, these are the areas that maybe we need to dig a little bit deeper in. So yes, Mm -hmm. definitely. I, I definitely agree. That is the quickest way to kill <laughs> a child's spirit is to- And the teachers, by the way. <laughs> yes, and the teachers start off day one in testing mode. And I've been in the classroom. I, I was a third grade teacher. And I remember the first couple of weeks, there's no teaching. Right. We only would rotate to the computer lab. Mm-hmm. That is horrible. Oh, yeah. gosh. <laughs> I don't yeah. even want to think about that. All right. Well, this has just been a great, great conversation. You really- gave us some really, uh, some things to think about and some ways to start our school year in a positive light. Yes, we know that there has been some unfinished learning um, because we were in a pandemic. I know I sound (laughs) like a broken record and um, classes were shortened, uh, days were shortened and the amount of time that we had with students to uh, teach standards, it had been abbreviated. So Mm -hmm. we do acknowledge that there were certain set standards or um, pieces of the curriculum that may not have gotten as much time as it would have gotten in years past. But think of how wonderful it has been to be an educator during this time to rethink what is a priority and to re-envision the importance of just connecting with our students. Yeah. So I always like to uh, end my sessions with these rapid fire questions. They're really fun questions Uh so that our listeners can get to know um, my guests on another level. I promise it won't be scary. All right. So are you ready? As ready as I've ever going to be. Ready as you can get. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the first question, and you don't have to spend a lot of time on it. You can just kind of give me the answer. Okay. What was the first book that you fell in love with? Mm. Anne of Green Gables. Okay. Yeah. All right. I actually I actually traveled to Prince Edward Island um, as an adult just to visit um, the house where um, Mom Montgomery lived and, and wrote wow. the books. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you really fell in love with that book. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. So I've loved about 5 million books since then, but yes, that was the first thing. That was the first you answered it. <laughs> All right. So if you weren't a teacher, what would you be? Um, I mean, 
writing the great American novels uh, would be, you know, the dream answer or um, something in the world of, of passionate and powerful about being able to develop um, teacher leaders and creating space for teachers to stay in classrooms, but also have actual real and authentic voices. Um, and so figuring out ways to do that in the broader world would be a passion of mine someday. Okay. You know, it's always hard as teachers because we spend so many hours in just doing something education related mm -hmm. to think of our life outside. Mm -hmm. of life outside. <laughs> yeah, I need to, I should change that. If you weren't in education, what would you be? Uh, the great American novelist. There you go. <laughs> okay, so the last question. Hopefully you eat ice cream. What's your favorite flavor ice cream? Um, so there is uh, an ice cream place in Alexandria, Virginia called um, Kilwins. That's a chain. I think there are other places oh, I too. I love Kilwins, yes. Um, and they, they have this flavor called um, toasted coconuts. And here's why it's so amazing. So, you know, most coconut chocolate ice creams are like coconut flavored ice cream with like chocolate chips in it. Mm -hmm. But the Kilwins flavor is actual pieces of toasted coconut covered in chocolate mixed into the ice cream see now you're yeah. going to have me go out there tomorrow to try uh, the toasted coconut thanks oh it, yeah it's dangerous it's seasonal but i'm quite it's in season right now so yeah you, oh you no just wait for it. now that's yeah. the pressure yeah that is pressure all right so what tips would you give um, to folks that would like to just get started on, you know, just kind of rethinking the whole idea of teaching, um, not from a deficit mindset, but really addressing and connect, excuse me, but really connecting with uh, students during instruction. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the first, first thing I would say is, is finding ways in those early weeks that students can um, write about themselves and speak about themselves um, in real and authentic ways. Um, again, as literacy teachers, like we can give them writing prompts about themselves. We can ask them, you know, what are things you love and hate? Um, what are things that make you excited to get out of bed in the morning? Um, you know, I, I start my class DJ list um, and we play different songs and you learn so much. I have a student this year who, by the way, loves to listen to 70s tunes while hanging out in her backyard. Like wow. that's such a, you know, so music can be a powerful way to learn a lot about who kids are, right? Like what's your favorite song? What's the song you play when you're sad? What's the song you say play when you're happy? Um, and through all of this, you start to learn a lot about their passions and about their strengths. Um, you know, so if what they love to do is, is play certain kinds of video games and those video games have a narrative to them, mm -hmm. you can speak to that with a student and you can help show them how those skills of reading that video game narrative can transfer into, um, you know, reading other types of novels and, and stories. Um, and so I would say that just by getting to know kids really well in those first couple of weeks, um, they reveal a lot of their strengths that they won't reveal if you just ask them, hey, what are you good at? That's probably not going to get you, <laughs> no. you know, good answers. Um, you know, so, so think of ways that you can really get to know them. And then I think also um, giving choice early on in the ways that they show their learning, um, you know, so, so making sure that, that your, your assessment of learning is varied and taps into a wide variety of strengths. So 
you want to know their inferencing about, you know, a poem that you read. Can they record themselves speaking it on Flipgrid? Can they draw a poetic interpretation? Um, can they create, um, you know, some kind of alternate point of view piece of writing? Like giving them lots of choice early on in the way they show their learning um, so that you're really trying to see what all they know from different angles. Um, and I think that that's really important, especially early on, um, so that you don't just say, oh, Laura, like these kids don't know anything about inferencing. And it's like, well, or maybe that question wasn't the best, right? So <laughs> trying to figure out um, what kids know and giving them the choice and ways to do that, I think can, can help you really learn um, what they do know. <laughs> Yes, and um, when you were talking about assessments, assessments, it made me think about Dr. Carrie Orange's piece mm. in the, yeah. the session um, that was just really, really good in unpacking how you can authentically assess your students in a variety mm -hmm. of ways, just like yeah. you were saying. Um, and I'll also put in the show notes, I'll put the link to the session. Oh, it is a must watch. And also- yeah previous podcast episode, I had Dr. Carrie Orange Jones on and we talked about that in detail. Yeah, she so powerfully put it like, why is it that we teach um, to all different learning styles and learning modalities, but we only assess um, really to one of them? And why are we doing that? You know, um, and I thought that was such an important thing to highlight um, to, to, that we should also be making our assessments um, and all different types of modalities and, and allowing kids to showcase all different kinds of strengths as well. Definitely. Well, okay. it has been a joy um, just talking with you, Elizabeth. Um, yeah, I want cool. folks to follow you and to just hear more about just what you're doing with your students and seeing some of the examples. Where can folks find you on social media? This would be great because I, I, I try to tweet and then I am so bad about it. So knowing that people might be, be following my tweets, I should, I will, it will motivate me to do that more. Um, I am on Twitter. Um, it's at Lacey Literacy. Um, and, and I, I do, I do tend to um, shy away from tweeting as much as I should, but I, I have found in the, during this pandemic time, how, how powerful tweeting can be. So it's something I'll work on. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again for your time. And no, thank you. This will be very, very helpful for those that are ready to um, do this work um, because our students need us. They need us to work together to help them to be the best that they can be for the world, not just in our classrooms, but for the world. So thank you folks for listening into this episode. As always, have a wonderful day and happy teaching.